Welcome to the Long-Term Care Chronicles podcast. In today's episode, we're going to be speaking with author Aaron Blight, who wrote When Caregiving Calls. Aaron is a speaker and consultant on caregiving, aging, and healthcare, who has been recognized as a top 100 healthcare leader by the International Forum on Advancements in Healthcare. His firm, Caregiving Kinetics, offers caregiving consulting throughout the world. You can visit him at his website at caregivingkinetics.com. In addition, we're going to be giving away three books of When Caregiving Calls. And in order to put your name in the draw, you'll have to use the hashtag When Caregiving Calls on our social media platforms on YouTube and on Twitter and on SoundCloud. Thank you. So thank you so much, Erin, for coming back on to the Long-Term Care Chronicles. Um, Greatly appreciated that you're coming on talking about your book, When Caregiving Calls. If you can just um, give us a little brief history about yourself, that'd be greatly appreciated. Yeah, thanks for having me, Wendy. I've been looking forward to this, and I'm I'm glad that uh, we found a studio after the other one was flooded. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So a little bit about myself. I am a speaker, a caregiver, uh, and I just wrote a book called When Caregiving Calls, Guidance as You Care for a Parent, Spouse, or Aging Relative. And I'm super excited to share that with you and with caregivers everywhere out there. I came to caregiving over 20 years ago when my mother-in-law was diagnosed with a brain tumor. She was relatively young. We were relatively young at the time. Um, I was 29 years old, and caregiving just kind of stormed into our life that way, and we spent five and a half years caring for her. At the time, I worked in the um, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services in a national healthcare policy role, but I really uh, learned a lot about healthcare and caregiving because of my direct personal caregiving experience with my mother-in-law. So after she passed away, I left uh, HHS and started my own home care company to help families that were like mine. And I spent about 10 years doing that. We help thousands of families right here where I live in in the northern Shenandoah Valley of Virginia and also the eastern panhandle of West Virginia in the United States. I know you have international Mm -hmm. listeners, Wendy. So hi, shout out to everybody in Canada and everywhere else, South Africa. But it was really uh, that time that I got to see how families struggle with caregiving. And my experiences, you know, were, were very personal but there were a lot of common threads that I saw in all of the families that were caregiving. And I went back to school and and got a doctoral degree and studied caregiving as a phenomenon of social science. And it was really during that process that I came to understand why caregiving is so hard for, for individuals and families. And it changed the way that I see and understand caregiving. And I'm not a, do- I'm not a medical doctor. I'm a, my doctorate is in learning, in education. And so it, it really informs how we 
see see ourselves in the world and how we relate to one another and how we grow and develop and change and learn. Um, a few years ago, I, I sold my home care company and then started speaking to groups about caregiving. And this book that uh, I'm super excited to introduce is kind of the, the result of that. So basically this book for when caregiving calls is basically taking on your experience as to what you experienced living through caregiving as well as being a service provider um, for caregiving and witnessing other family members going through this particular journey. Is that correct? That is correct. And I would even add one more dimension to it, Wendy, which is the research element, because um, a lot of there's been a lot of research about caregiving, but it's not been disseminated to the general public. A lot of times the, the research just hides in academic journals and, and doesn't get out to the world. So this book is very accessible. It's not, it is not written like an academic journal. It's, it's intended to be very easy to read, very easy to understand, but it's definitely informed by research on caregiving as well as my personal experience and uh, as a service provider. Oh no, I think it's great. This, uh, your book, When Caregiving Calls, definitely relays the whole experience um, and touches upon subjects that aren't even talked about, whether that is the work aspect of a caregiver actually having to work, balancing that and taking care of a loved one, as well as the different relationship um, dynamics that end up changing when somebody is um, a caregiver. So we'll start with that first in terms of the dynamics uh, for caregiving. So let's say it's a a child taking care of their mother or a sibling taking care of another sibling and just how that changes because you did write that in the book in terms of how people then view and see each other it becomes different and let's say if it's a child taking care of a parent the roles then become reversed so if you can just go into that a little bit that'd be great absolutely so this is really one of the most important things that I think is in the book is understanding the changes in a relationship between a caregiver and a care receiver. And um, it was something that I learned through my study of caregiving. I came across the work of Rhonda Montgomery and Carl Kozlowski, who are applied gerontologists. They have spent um, 30 years studying family caregivers. And in their research, um, as they looked across some 20,000 different family caregivers, uh, they came to identify a series of transitions that family caregivers go through. And they developed something called family caregiver identity theory. And it basically um, states that caregiving is, is defined by a series of role-based transitions that a caregiver goes through over the course of time as they are precipitated by the changing health needs of the loved one. So let's just try to explain that in a simple mm -hmm. way. Um, if you, you use the example of being an adult child, let's say it's a, a daughter, an adult daughter, and you're, and you're caregiving for your mother. Well, usually, you know, that, that relationship that you have with your mother, it's very unique. 
there's only one mother that you have, right? And um, the way that you interact with your mother has been defined by your historic relationship with her. Um, she, you think about your mother and, and that role that she has in the relationship has a lot of meaning. She raised you, she uh, changed your diapers, she taught you to ride a bicycle, she helped you in school doing your homework, she gave you advice, she sacrificed for you and and uh, that's why, you know, in college football games, you, you see the football players who are always like, hi, mom, yeah. you know, mom, they, they sing a lot, mom, because yes. mom is, has that special relationship, right? And so the way that you think about your mother is very unique. And when, care, when the, the, the woman that, that raised you and cared for you as you were growing up starts to need care from you, things are going to be different. The things that you're doing with your mother will start to be different. The things that you say to your mother will start to be different. The things that you think about your mother will start to be different. And Montgomery and Kozlowski uh, described this by using a series of pie charts. And th these are in the book. But if you think about a pie chart, it kind of represents the totality of interactions that you're having in, in the relationship. And Usually, you know, most of your life, 100% of that pie chart has just been a mother-daughter relationship. Yeah. But when caregiving starts to creep into the relationship, it might be very slowly, and you may not even realize it, but suddenly there's a little sliver of that pie chart, a little sliver of your activity that is really caregiver role activity. Things that you never did before, but you're starting to do for her. And over time, that percentage of what you're doing with your mother starts to change and you see more and more caregiver type activities in the relationship. So your role in that relationship with her starts to change and you start to recognize that, oh my gosh, I'm doing different things with my mom that I never did before, whether that's grocery shopping for her or paying her bills or now you're, you're worrying about her safety or you realize that she, you know, has trouble walking and you're concerned about her falling down. And so you give her a hand when you didn't ever have to do that before. And as her care related needs increase, her condition is declining, you take on more and more of those caregiver type responsibilities. So you, you think about her differently, you're interacting with her differently, and you're doing different things with her. So your relationship is going to change. And that can be very hard to wrap your head around. It can be very hard to accept. And it can result in what we call a role identity discrepancy, where you're like, I don't really know who I should be for her anymore or who I am with her anymore. Um, am I a daughter or am I a caregiver? And what does that mean to me and what does that mean to her? Exactly. And then, of course, I like in the book that you have at the end of each chapter, these questions in terms of reflection as to how to kind of understand, get it digested so you can be able to see where I need to maybe work on or start looking at things in a slightly different manner. So I thought that was really great in the book to have that and uh, to have that type of reflection 
because in order for you to, yes, you can just read it, but at least to be able to take what is written in here and to be able to apply it so you can move forward in a healthier fashion, I think that is um, is really great, is really fantastic. And I know you, you mentioned in terms of the the dynamics, yes, would change and how uh, somebody would be able to understand and move forward with it. But as well, I guess... Um, I guess resolving those those emotions, right? Because those are quite big. Those are quite large. Those are uh, that's a big process to to undertake. Absolutely. Right. So. Yes. And so it is a big thing to undertake, and and they're very complex emotions, conflicting emotions. And I know that I went through those emotions when my mother-in-law lived with us, um, and I honestly didn't understand why it was what I was really going through, but I just felt conflicted all the time because on the one hand, I wanted to help my mother-in-law. I wanted her to be with us. I wanted to do everything that I could to support her throughout her illness. But then on the other hand, I resented the fact that she was there sometimes. And I felt like I was trapped. And, um, you know, I, there were times I mean, I talk about this, I think, in the book a little bit, but I would go to work and have a long day at work and uh, come home tired and sit down at the dinner table. And every single night, my mom, my mother-in-law would be across the table from me. And I got to where I just, I couldn't even look at her. Yeah. I, and I'm kind of embarrassed to admit that, but I, it's, you know, I just didn't, I wanted my nuclear family to just be with me. And, and there were times that I didn't want to have to worry about caregiving for her, but it was, it was a never ending um, situation for us. And Rhonda Montgomery, she uses a little example to, t- to, try to, to try to illustrate this. She uses a rubber band. Can you see this rubber yes, band here? Yeah, I can see it. <laughs> so, and this is Rhonda's example, which I love. So if this is what you are doing in your relationship with your loved one. And this is what you think you should be doing in your relationship with your loved one. The further distance that there is between what you are doing and what you think you should be doing, the more tension that you feel. So the farther and farther apart that that is, the more conflicted that you're feeling and that role identity discrepancy kicks in for you. So there really are three ways that caregivers resolve this. And, and all three of these ways are easier said than done. Oh, definitely. Um, the first way to resolve this role identity conflict is to basically say to yourself, okay, if I'm an adult child and my aging mother needs me to help her as a caregiver, then that's okay. I'm going to change who I am in this relationship with her. I'm going to assume the role of caregiver more and the role of daughter less. And I'm doing that because in honor of the historic relationship that I've had with her. Um, She is my mother and, and I love her and I care about her, but I'm just not as much of a daughter now. I'm more of a caregiver. And when you have a mother who's 93 years old, that's what you do, that's okay. So that's sort of option number way, not option number one, the way to think about it. Another, a second way to think about it is to allow the role of daughter to be redefined, to include 
the caregiving tasks that you're now performing. Mm -hmm. So you're basically saying to yourself, well, my historic relationship with my mother has been like this, but now that she's 93 and she needs help and I'm doing these caregiving tasks, the, what I'm doing in the relationship is different, but I'm still a daughter. Being a daughter for a 93-year-old mom means that I will be doing caregiving tasks. And that's okay with, that's okay to me. You know, I, I'm, I'm willing to do that because that's what being a daughter means. And so you see how you're sort of reframing yes. the meaning of being a daughter in your head. The third way that people resolve this kind of role identity conflict is to unload the tasks of caregiving that are causing the identity conflict formal service providers come in or helpers come in to provide assistance with those tasks of caregiving that are causing the greatest amount of stress for the family member. And by doing that, by offloading the care to others, you're able to kind of rebalance who you are in that relationship and retain more of that daughter role. Mm -hmm. You're never going to be, it's never going to be a hundred percent like it used to be. Once caregiving enters the picture, um, in an in adult child and parent relationship, it's going to continue to be that way until the parent dies, most likely. Um, but by rebalancing those caregiving tasks, the person can feel a lot more comfortable with who they are in that relationship. Now, like I said, all of those, all of those things, all three of those approaches, they're a lot easier said than done because you're going to go through a lot of uh, internal conflict and turmoil and and second guessing yourself, Um, anxiety, guilt, uh, grief about, you know, what used to be. But uh, the caregivers that are able to to successfully support their loved ones all the way up through end of life are able to to transition this way, one of these three ways. Yeah, it's definitely a very challenging journey. And you're right, it's all in how um, the individual takes it in to be able to process that and to be able to say that they're going to move forward in this new role identity moving forward. Now, you mentioned in terms of with work and um, with, a, with a caregiver, there is a lot of, I guess, cha- there is a lot of challenges basically at work in terms of what you um, experience the fact of in terms of support by your workplace, whether that can be provided. I know in my case, it ranged from total support and total understanding to to non-support, non-understanding. They just thought you're here for the next eight hours. You need to do your job and concentrate on that. You cannot take any phone calls. You cannot leave those types of things. And that makes that adds on another additional layer of stress. And which might change in terms of that person's outlook on their person that they're caregiving for as well. And I know you mentioned it here in the book as well, in in one of the chapters, you called it work. And as well, in terms of at work as well, that you may not be able to move forward in in your role that you're in to be able to climb that corporate ladder, so to speak, because people look at you as, well, you have other things to take care of, you may not be open, or you may not have the time to be able to move forward in this other role or expansion. And 
I thought that was very good in terms of how you laid that out because that, as I said, that really got me because I am a younger caregiver and definitely a lot in terms of how you are perceived in the workplace either can be a benefit or not a benefit uh, for for that caregiver. And as I said, I've definitely experienced people being very understanding to not so understanding um, in terms of that caregiving experience. If you could just talk a little bit about that. Yeah, thank you, Wendy. Um, you know, we talk about roles. Caregivers always have other roles in their life. And, and one of those roles for those who are working is, you know, employee or manager or um, leader, whatever the case may be at work. And um, just because a person has caregiving responsibilities at home does not mean that they're any less committed as a worker. Um, but unfortunately, some organizations um, think that, oh, this person has caregiving responsibilities at home, or they, they're, they're always leaving to go take care of their loved one, and they take long lunch breaks, or they have to take their mom to the medical office or whatever, and so we can't promote them, or, you know, they're not performing as well, and um, the the unfortunate thing is some caregivers start to think, well, is it my family or is it my work? You know, do I have to actually choose between the two? Exactly. And that's really an unfair choice. It's an untenable situation to be in, right? Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to have to choose between their work and their family. But sometimes caregivers have to make hard choices like that. And I just don't think it should be that way. I'm sorry. I think that in our society today with COVID-19 everywhere and um, an aging population, the, the need for caregiving is only increasing and there should be more um, understanding and uh, with employers and also more of an ability to uh, have supports to receive the supports that are necessary to do both work and caregiving at the same time. Definitely. And you as well, in, in the book, uh, When Caregiving Calls, you mentioned in terms of the chapter on stress, because this would as well be another layer of that, as well as how that may actually play out in terms of uh, financial stress, where the caregiver, in order to find you know, alleviation may overspend, may not spend, you know, their whole, in terms of how they manage, uh, becomes very challenging, whether are they able to then balance, let's say, going out to, whether just socially with friends, or being able to go out and do physical activities. And now with COVID-19, that makes it even that much more, um, I guess, isolating for some caregivers to be able to find some sort of release in their whole caregiving journey in terms of what you mentioned here in the stress. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned stress, Wendy. It's interesting that uh, just like in the last week or so, a new report came out from the, uh, from the Rosalind Carter Institute for Caregiving mm -hmm. about uh, stress that caregivers are experiencing right now yeah. during this time of, of COVID-19. The report found that 83% of caregivers 
are experiencing more stress than they did yeah. before COVID-19. And that's due to concern about infection mm -hmm. from COVID-19, um, the isolation that yeah. we're experiencing with uh, COVID-19, the increased care-related responsibilities that caregivers have because of COVID-19. You know, there's not as much uh, ability to receive respite care. Um, all of the uncertainty, the, the resource insecurity, the uh, financial instability, um, and it just leads to this greater sense of anxiety. And if, as if caregiving wasn't stressful enough to begin with. So the, the uncertainty of these times really adds to that level of stress. And it's important for caregivers to, uh, to understand the stress that they're feeling is normal. Yeah. And there are ways that they can, they can manage that and receive support. And it's important that they do that so that they don't uh, reach the point of just complete burnout and exhaustion. Exactly. It's a very hard balancing act. And then when the caregiving role then expands out of, let's say, the home and into long-term care. I know that you mentioned about in terms of some of the different emotions that caregivers go through, because some may feel guilt of having to give up some of their responsibility now to another organization to now take on what they thought they could do, they could handle. And you definitely mention it here in the book in terms of that whole dynamic then changes again. Absolutely. Um, you know, there's, uh, there are a lot of very conflicting emotions and feelings when it comes to this decision about placing a loved one into a facility. And, um, you know, that decision shouldn't be taken lightly, but you shouldn't feel guilty if you have to do something like that, because there are different factors that are influencing that decision. One is the condition of your loved one. And the thing that we understand is that most people don't have static conditions. Yeah. Their conditions evolve and change over time. And when you're talking about an, an elderly relative, the chances are that their condition is going to get worse. And so as the condition worsens, their care-related needs increase. So that's the first big um, factor in a decision to place a loved one into a nursing home. The second, the second big factor is, is the family caregiver's capacity to meet the needs of their loved one. And family caregivers may or may not have the capability to do that, to meet their loved, one, loved one's needs 24 seven, 365 days a year. I mean, there's only so much that one person can do. And when the care-related needs of the loved one exceed the family caregiver's ability to meet those needs, then you really need to start looking at other alternatives. And in facilities, you know, there's a team of people who are prepared and trained to meet the needs of your loved one. They offer support 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Yeah. And um, so they are at, they're spreading the care responsibilities across a team of professionally trained individuals. And that can be a very, very welcome uh, change in a caregiver's life 
to know that uh, there's a team of people that are there to care for my, my loved one. And it provides relief to the family. <clears throat> At the same time, the family member might feel like, oh my gosh, you know, uh, this, I was a failure as a caregiver and yeah. you should never feel like that. You know, did you do everything that you could? And you have to understand that, you know, the needs are just so, can become so great that it's too much for one person. That's right. Um, and with COVID-19, I think family members are asking themselves more frequently, frequently about uh, having their loved one in a facility mm -hmm. because, uh, you know, we see some of the reports of the spread of COVID-19 in, in facilities, and there's obvious concern about that. Um, but it's not necessarily a situation where you want to just yank your loved one out of, out of a facility and bring them home particularly if, if you don't have the capability to care for them. You're just, you know, taking them out of, of a, one situation and may, possibly making the situation worse. Um, you, the book includes some questions to ask yourself about their, uh, the, your loved one's situation in that facility to try to evaluate whether or not it's a good idea to leave them there. Yeah, definitely. Because, I mean, you are, inf you know, conflicted in terms of whether you made the right choice or the right decision. And then, of course, once they're there, the support that you receive, because as you said, it's a team of individuals. Uh, yes, there's the nurses, there's the physicians, um, there's the um, other support staff, dietary. There's a whole range of individuals, social workers, to be able to support the needs of this one particular individual. So, and I, as I said, you definitely, you know, put in the, um, the questions uh, there that people can be able to ask to look back and reflect. And, and definitely this is a very easy book to read, but I found it very piercing to myself um, and very relatable uh, in terms of the experiences that you wrote in here, um, how certain uh, situations that you may deal with it, even though I am a younger caregiver. Um, I found it very extremely relatable and it definitely, um, you know, touched me on that uh, side of things. And it, it definitely, um, it relates in terms of how they, that whole experience is because it is definitely, I don't want to say, um, it's kind of like you're witnessing something, right? So, and it takes on a different uh, context because this is someone's life that you are now responsible for. Yes, it may or may not be your parent, but now you are looking at things differently in terms of what that enormous uh, responsibility really is when it comes to caregiving. So, but I, I definitely want to thank you so much uh, for coming on to the Long-Term Care Chronicles, Erin, um, and being able to, to discuss this. Thank you so much. Thank you, Wendy. I've really enjoyed uh, chatting with you today.